You're listening to All Things Crime, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, DNA ID, Scene of the Crime, Three Men and a Mystery, and Zodiac Speaking. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Warning, All Things Crime is a true crime production that may contain violent or disturbing material. Viewer or listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, part two of my discussion with Sergeant Betsy Branter-Smith and talking about not only policing in the, the United States right now, but some of the chaos that's being caused by the defunding and everything else. So enjoy. law enforcement ends up killing about eight to 15 unarmed people a year. Uh, now, most of those people were trying to kill a cop with either take the cop's gun, get obtaining a weapon that they didn't have, running us over with a car. It's a very rare occurrence. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that, that, again, we call leadership into task is we've got to fight that false narrative that American law enforcement officers are out there hunting down young unarmed black men to murder. It's just not happening. And Black Lives Matter and Antifa will try to convince you that it is. And they talk about this epidemic of black people being killed by the police. And that's just false. And it's sad because honestly, a, a really amazing profession and full of really good people. I know a lot of cops. And they are all good people. I, I, I'm sure, like I said, I haven't met enough yet. It's just a matter of time. But I haven't met enough that I've actually met somebody that I, I just look at him and it's, I'm like, that is just not a good dude. And right. he, he needs to be taken out. You know, I, the, the numbers are just, they just don't pan out. And so, yes, I admit Every time I see those red and blue lights behind me and I knew that I was speeding, it is a bad day. <laughs> and, and, you know, I know that ultimately I'll probably just get a ticket, but that cop doesn't know that. Right. And when I see him walking up on the passenger side and he's, he's got his hand on the hilt of his weapon and I'm like, you know what, that guy, he has to be careful. He wants to go home to his family just like I do. And yet he runs risks that most of us can't even comprehend. Right. Even being in the military, uh, I never actually had to deploy to anywhere. And so it it was just bizarre the way my career fell in between wars. A little FYI for you. (laughs) I arrived at the 101st Airborne Division, which I'm sure you know is a rapid deployment division. I arrived there probably four or five months after they got back from the first Gulf War. And so 
somehow my my career just as as it was going i ended up right after the first gulf war and then uh i was in training divisions and training guys that were going off to the second one anyways just a weird time that i never had to deploy but the bottom line is and my point i'll i'll eventually get to my point you know that's that's one <laughs> of the things that we do right <laughs> the the point is that you just you have to you have to rise to the moment and cops for the most part are under that kind of almost wartime like pressure all the time. Yeah. And they have no idea this guy that they're pulling over to uh, for a broken light or a speeding ticket. They have no idea if that person has a weapon in the car. They have no idea if that person is uh, who knows, you know, and so they have to treat everybody as if they are a, an extreme threat until they've ascertained that they're not. You can't name another profession that, that is like that. Exactly. We, you know, we just had a police officer killed in, I believe it was Virginia, who uh, just made a routine, quote unquote, traffic stop. And he didn't even get the door open of his patrol car to get out and, and go talk to the driver. And the driver popped out and shot and killed him. Wow. And this is the reality of law enforcement. And that's what, you know, when we talk about the, the you know, depolicing and, and, you know, reimagining policing and all that, you hear a lot of talk in some large urban areas. Let's send in social workers to a lot of these situations instead of police officers. Well, that's terrific, except that so many times when a law enforcement officer is attacked, they went to uh, something as innocuous as a 911 hangup call or a well-being check. And in these mental health situations, when people have called, very often it's family members who've called 911 and said, my family member is having a mental health episode, et cetera, et cetera. They end up obtaining a weapon, this and that. To send unarmed social workers into those situations is, is so deadly for the social workers. It's just, it's unthinkable. And it's sad when law enforcement has to use force against somebody who is on drugs or is uh, mentally ill, but we're the ones that unfortunately are tasked with that. And it would be great if every cop, every patrol cop in this country could have a licensed social worker riding along with them. I think that would be awesome. Nobody wants to pay for it. And frankly, I, I dare say none of the social workers want to do that. <laughs> no, they're not suicidal. No, they want to help people in a in a situation that's safe for them. And I, and I think that's what they deserve. Oh, yes. And it, the interesting thing, again, going back to Dion Joseph is, you know, he works at Skid Row in L.A. Mm -hmm. And so that alone should tell you the kind of situation that he's in every day. But his point was you have to actually make sure that the chemical barrier in between you and and that person, whether it's male or female, you you make sure that that chemical barrier they they can't even recognize that you're another human when they're on drugs and stuff like that. And so, if they're in the middle of the street swinging a baseball bat or a chain or threatening other people, and maybe they have a knife or or God forbid a gun, then social workers are not going to be able to handle that. And frankly, nobody in society should want them to handle that. Because that, that's not what social workers are for. 
Exactly. And unfortunately, law enforcement is tasked with, and that's the thing, people, you know, like, everybody likes to second guess us. There's lots of, you know, I'm on Twitter, and there's lots of keyboard warriors on Twitter who like to uh, attack police tactics and, and things like that. And it's like cops have to know a little bit about a million different things to be able to do our job. So yes, we have to know about drugs. We have to know about mental illness. We have to know everything from um, de-escalation techniques to how to place a center mass shot with our pistol and, and a million things in between. I delivered, I was a cop for 29 years. I delivered two babies while I was on the job. <laughs> Fortunately, I knew how to do that. So there are so many things that police officers end up having to get involved in. And so we have to know a tiny bit about a lot of different things. And yet everything we do is criticized. And now, of course, everything we do is being vid videotaped, recorded. It's a lot of pressure. That's why when you, you know, we were talking about Minneapolis, so many of, this is why Minneapolis is 200 police officers short right now, because they've had so many officers leave with post-traumatic stress issues. And we're seeing that with, look at NYPD. They have so many retirements that HR can't process them fast enough. Um, and we have police officers leaving LA and Austin and in Chicago. And so, you know, exactly what you just said, it's these large urban areas that already had crime problems to begin with. Now they have police officers leaving and they're either uh, retiring or a lot of them are leaving for places like where you live in Utah or where I live in Arizona. They're fleeing and get, and they're going to places who appreciate the police. Even if it's a massive pay cut to move into an area that, yeah, the cost of living is a lot cheaper here than it would be in, in New York. And yeah, they're probably moving away from family. And but to not get get shot at all the time, to not get screamed at, you know, I, I saw the, even though a bucket of water getting dumped on a NYPD officer, uh, it was probably even hot that day. So maybe it even felt good. That's not the point. The point is that's an absolute huge show of disrespect and. The fact that that officer didn't react, he didn't know what was in that. He didn't know what, what was, that it might've been water in that bucket. What if that had been acid? You, you just never what know. What if it was urine, which happens all the time on a riot line? Right. Uh, in fact, that friend of mine that's uh, with Salt Lake PD was telling me that the night of the riots, shortly after, or the, the night after the George Floyd incident, they all rolled into that, into that riot and most of them didn't have riot gear. And there were 29 officers that were seriously hurt from that. And that's just uh, in Salt Lake. And that, that wasn't even a major riot. Yeah, the number of injuries, the P like you said, the PTSD, the problems with the officers, it's really sad because, again, it, it's a noble profession. And these guys deserve our respect, not our ire. Now, the guy that had, um, you know, that caused the whole George Floyd incident, yeah, I am fully supportive of him going to trial. And if there's enough evidence to convict him, then so be it. That's the way our justice system works. But for the rest of them, all the cops that are suffering from that one police officer's uh, actions, that's just wrong. And, and like, like you said earlier, there's no other profession in the world that suffers the, the sins of the few. Right. 
and what I want people to understand is, you know, we have about about 100 police officers a year are killed feloniously, where we are either shot or stabbed to death or run over by a car um, intentionally, things like that. We don't riot when someone kills one of our own. We, we work through the justice system to arrest them and bring them to trial. And if they end up attacking another police officer, we end up using, uh, sometimes using deadly force. But we don't riot, we don't rail against the system. You know, we don't bring up anyone's race and we work within the system. And so, you know, that's what needs to happen. And, you know, it's just like we saw in uh, Baltimore when uh, the prosecutor there in the Freddie Gray case overcharged, arrested those officers that, uh, you know, she said were responsible for the death of Freddie Gray. The officers went to trial. All evidence was presented. And what do you know? They were all acquitted. And that's what's happening. I think that's what's going to happen in Atlanta and, and some of the other cases out there. There's one in Oklahoma City right now where these officers end up being investigated and then quickly overcharged uh, with crimes that they didn't commit. Because oh, a lot of people don't understand the justice system either. You know, you talk about Derek Chauvin in uh, Minneapolis. You know, why wasn't he? People want to know, why isn't he charged with first degree? I'm Mike Morford. And I've been researching the Zodiac case for years. Zodiac, just the name. It sounds sinister. It inspires fear. The fact that a serial killer would give himself this moniker is disturbing. He would go on to taunt police by sending letters and codes to newspapers for years. And the attacks, they were something else altogether. If you were a young couple in a secluded area, you could easily be a target. And it wasn't just shootings on dark lovers' lanes. Zodiac would even attack with a knife in broad daylight while wearing an executioner-style hood. After a while, Zodiac changed tactics, and even lone cab drivers weren't safe. The Zodiac killer terrorized the San Francisco Bay Area and then vanished, but he left a lot of clues behind along the way. Clues that we're going to examine closely on the new podcast, Zodiac Speaking. New episodes of Zodiac Speaking come out every other Saturday starting March 13, 2021. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. Because he didn't commit first degree murder. You have to understand the, the our justice system isn't law and order SVU. It's we have we have actual laws. A lot of people don't understand the way the justice system works, that 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 each case has to be handled according to the law. So there are different degrees of murder in each state. It's different. And a lot of these overzealous prosecutors end up overcharging people. And I think we may see that in Minneapolis. There's a real good chance that Derek Chauvin won't get convicted of anything when all the evidence is presented because George Floyd had a lot of health issues. Um, The autopsy clearly shows that he was full of fentanyl, that he had terrible heart issues. So there were a lot of mitigating circumstances and uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. But like you said, whether he's convicted, Chauvin is convicted or not, there's the city's probably going to burn again. Yeah, which again is sad because Very. the most marginalized people in that city are the ones that are going to suffer the most. It's not, yep. uh, not going to be the city council people. They probably don't even live anywhere close to where the rioting will happen. And... Exactly. Well, <laughs> and that's the thing. that we, One of the things we've done at the National Police Association is we've gotten involved in uh, Minneapolis 
trying to advocate not just for the police department, but for the citizens. You know, we filed amicus briefs and, and because we said these citizens are asking for help from the police department, the amount of service that they did in a year, a year and a half ago. And businesses are failing. People are getting hurt. You know, carjackings are up uh, almost 400% in Minneapolis. Mm. Rape is up. Robbery is up. There are some robbery victims, businesses that are robbery victims in Minneapolis that get robbed two and three times a week by the same guy. So we finally decided, the National Police Association, we're going to get involved in this and advocate for the officers, but advocate for the community. And that, that's what policing is all about. We can go back to you know, the origins of law enforcement, Sir Robert Peel in, in England. The people are the police and the police are the people. We're supposed to be in this together. And, uh, and th- that's one of the things that we're involved in. We're really all about not just police, but uh, we're about the community. That, that is one of the saddest uh, things I think anybody has heard in a long time is because getting rid of it just does not make any sense to me for anybody to think that society will continue to function in any semblance of normality based on having no police. I, I, once, I once had a person tell me that her house was safe because she was armed. So she wasn't worried about it and she didn't want the police around. I was frankly like, mm, you know what? I don't think you fully understand the sheer fact that criminals know that police are out there. They may not know where, where they are, but they know they're out there. And that alone is a deterrent. Yes. And anybody with it, with any kind of common sense understands that you cannot have a vacancy in all law enforcement, you know, imagine the wild, wild west, as crazy as it was, with no sheriff. Right. <laughs> right. There, there's no law. The wild, wild west would once again reemerge in the United States because when people know that there's no repercussions for their actions, then there's no limit to what they, some people, obviously, and the bad guys is obviously who we're referring to. But if they know there's no repercussions, which I think is this that no bail thing. Yeah. If they if they know they can rob somebody, and especially like in San Francisco, they know to the dollar how much mo- how much stuff they can steal and that they'll never be prosecuted for it. And so they'll walk into a store and I've heard <laughs> you've probably actually uh, confirmed this, but I've heard of people walking into like stores with a calculator, adding up the stuff that they're going to steal, as long as they're under, I think it's like $980 or something like mm-hmm. that. And they're adding it up on a calculator, and then they'll just walk out of the store. And see, pe- people will say, well, they're just trying to feed their children, this and that. They're No, they're stealing liquor and uh, things like baby formula that they can sell. They're not stealing bread and milk. And they go in there, you know, and again, it depends on the jurisdiction um, where you can go in and steal a certain amount and the police won't even take a report. And it's not, and the police are not the ones making that decision. That is the the city leadership who says, well, we're going to, we're going to call this, you know, anything under a thousand dollars, we're just going to call that a petty crime and we're not going to take a report. In my home state of Illinois, they just passed a, uh, they, they call it a law enforcement 
reform bill, but it's doing everything from eliminating cash bail to decriminalizing things that used to be felonies or high misdemeanors. And when you start doing that, what you're what you're doing is really you're victimizing the community twice and you're victimizing them once because, you know, they're going to get things stolen from them and they're going to get hurt. And then you victimize them a second time by telling them, well, you know, there's really nothing I can do about that. And that goes against the reason we become police officers is because we want to help the community for us to have to stand by and watch people in our community be victimized and we have to stand there and not do anything about it, or we have to tell them, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do about this, that ships away at our heart. And when we see that day after day after day, what happens is we end up getting out because we just can't take it anymore. We are, nobody becomes a police officer. A, nobody becomes a police officer to get rich. Believe me, none of us are rich. And nobody becomes a police officer because they wanna hurt people. We become police officers because we want to help our community. We want to be, we want to arrest the bad guy. We want to go out there and be the heroes. And so when we're not able to do that, it wears at us and we end up getting out and going to do something else. And it's going to be a crisis in a lot of our urban areas eventually. And we're already seeing it in some areas. It it really is. We're having a recruiting and a retention crisis. Well, as a business owner, I can tell you there's only so much that any business can absorb. And there, there's another fallacy out there, not, not just that, you know, all police are bad, that, that narrative that's being pushed needs to be shut down. But the second narrative is that businesses can absorb any amount of loss. And these, these businesses that some of them have been in their locations for decades. And so of course they don't want to move. They love their community. They love being there. They love providing whatever service they provide, but there's a limit to what they can absorb. And at some junction between the COVID shutdowns and uh, riot losses and being now, especially if they're in an area that petty theft is (laughs) not even prosecuted and they provide some kind of a consumer good where, I'm sorry, if I'm a business owner, and I see somebody walk in with a calculator starting to add up the stuff that they're, that I know that they're just going to walk out of my store with. And there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing the police will do about it because they can't. There's only so many times I could see that and not just say, I'm done. You know, well, I'm sure. going gonna, gonna to lock my doors. I'm going to, I'm going to grab the inventory that I have and I'm going to load my truck and I'm going to go find someplace where I can actually conduct business safely. And Unfortunately, in the areas that we're talking about, San Francisco and places, there's a reason that Arizona and Utah and Idaho, Wyoming are being flooded with Californians. Yep. These people are coming out of, they're sick and tired of it. They can't even fathom living the way they're, because that's no life. And if I can't do, as a business owner, I've been in business for a long time. And as a business owner, the thought of losing money month over month, you just can't do it. And especially small businesses, they operate on, if they have more than two or three months worth of um, ability to continue on without any kind of income or, or at a loss, then they're actually doing really good. Most of them can't, can't afford one month. So 
some of these business owners, again, convenience stores or clothing shops, things like that, if they're in an urban area like that, yeah, they're going to, eventually they, they will have no choice but to close shop or to respond as if they were police, which right. then, then it gets ugly. Exactly. And yeah. So there it's, it's a no, it's a no win situation for them. And this goes right back to the politicians that are making these policies and saying, look, it is your responsibility to establish a safe environment. Allow your police to provide a safe environment for me to conduct business. And if they weren't doing that, then either they need to suffer the repercussions of businesses leaving, which is happening in mass in California. Anybody that can leave is leaving. Yeah. Oh, is, yeah. And, and, you know, all my friends in, in Florida and everything, there's a reason that so many New York plates, I was just in Miami a couple, a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and I could not believe how many Massachusetts and New York license plates I saw. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And it's not just because it's wintertime. <laughs> exactly. And, and the, the problem is, is when these business owners leave these communities, then we're, we're left with, you'll, you'll hear a lot when we talk about poor communities that there are uh, retail deserts and food deserts and things. That's because these business owners, you know, if you can't make a profit and then, like you said, small business, their margin is already slim to begin with. If they can't protect their businesses and the police can't help them protect their businesses, why would they stay in these areas where, you know, crime is almost encouraged? Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime Day.